Chapter Thirty Nine of Jenny Gerhardt by Theodore Dreiser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. During this period, the dissatisfaction of Kane's family with Lester's irregular habit of life grew steadily stronger. That it could not help but become an open scandal in the course of time was sufficiently obvious to them. Rumors were already going about. People seemed to understand, in a wise way, though nothing was ever said directly. Kane Sr. could scarcely imagine what possessed his son to fly in the face of conventions in this manner. If the woman had been some one of distinction, some sorceress of the stage or of the world of art or letters, his action would have been explicable, if not commendable. But with this creature of very ordinary capabilities, as Louise had described her, this putty-faced nobody, he could not possibly understand it. Lester was his son, his favorite son. It was too bad he had not settled down in the ordinary way. Look at the women in Cincinnati who knew him and liked him. Take Letty Pace, for instance. Why, in the name of common sense, had he not married her? She was good-looking, sympathetic, talented. The old man grieved bitterly, and then by degrees he began to harden. It seemed a shame that Lester should treat him so. It wasn't natural or justifiable or decent. Archibald Kane brooded over it until he felt that some change ought to be enforced, but just what it should be he could not say. Lester was his own boss, and he would resent any criticism of his actions. Apparently nothing could be done. Certain changes helped along an approaching denouement. Louise married not many months after her very disturbing visit to Chicago, and then the home property was fairly empty except for visiting grandchildren. Lester did not attend the wedding, though he was invited. For another thing, Mrs. Kane died, making a readjustment of the family will necessary. Lester came home on this occasion, grieved to think that he had lately seen so little of his mother, and that he had caused her so much pain but he had no explanation to make. His father thought at the time of talking to him, but put it off because of his obvious gloom. He went back to Chicago, and there were more months of silence. After Mrs. Kane's death and Louise's marriage, the father went to live with Robert, for his three grandchildren afforded him his greatest pleasure in his old age. The business, except for the final adjustment, which would come after his death, was in Robert's hand. The latter was consistently agreeable to his sisters and their husbands and to his father, in view of the eventual control he hoped to obtain. He was not a syncopant in any sense of the word, but a shrewd, cold businessman, far shrewder than his brother gave him credit for. He was already richer than any two of the other children put together, but he chose to keep his counsel and to pretend modesty of fortune. He realized the danger of envy, and preferred a Spartan form of existence, putting all the emphasis on inconspicuous, but very ready and very hard cash. While Lester was drifting, Robert was working, working all the time. Robert's scheme for eliminating his brother from participation in the control of the business was really not very essential, for his father 
after long brooding over the details of the Chicago situation, had come to the definite conclusion that any large share of his property ought not to go to Lester. Obviously, Lester was not so strong a man as he had thought him to be. Of the two brothers, Lester might be the bigger intellectually or sympathetically, artistically and socially. There was no comparison. But Robert got commercial results in a silent, effective way. If Lester was not going to pull himself together at this stage of the game, when would he? Better leave his property to those who would take care of it. Archibald Kane thought seriously of having his lawyer revise his will in such a way that, unless Lester should reform, he would be cut off with only a nominal income. But he decided to give Lester one more chance, to make a plea, in fact, that he should abandon his false way of living and put himself on a sound basis before the world. It wasn't too late. He really had a great future. Would he deliberately choose to throw it away? Old Archibald wrote Lester that he would like to have a talk with him at his convenience, and within the lapse of thirty-six hours, Lester was in Cincinnati. I thought I'd have one more talk with you, Lester, on a subject that's rather difficult for me to bring up, began the elder Kane. You know what I'm referring to? Yes, I know, replied Lester calmly. I used to think, when I was much younger, that my son's matrimonial ventures would never concern me, but I changed my views on that score when I got a little further along. I began to see, through my business connections, how much the right sort of marriage helps a man, and then I got rather anxious that my boys should marry well. I used to worry about you, Lester, and I'm worrying yet. This recent connection you've made has caused me no end of trouble. It worried your mother up to the very last. It was her one great sorrow. Don't you think you have gone far enough with it? The scandal has reached down here. What it is in Chicago, I don't know. But it can't be a secret. That can't help the house and business there. It certainly can't help you. The whole thing has gone on so long that you have injured your prospects all around. And yet you continue. Why do you? I suppose because I love her. Lester replied. "'You can't be serious in that,' said his father. "'If you loved her, you'd have married her in the first place. Surely you wouldn't take a woman and live with her as you have with this woman for years, disgracing her and yourself, and still claim that you love her. You may have a passion for her, but it isn't love.' "'How do you know I haven't married her?' inquired Lester coolly. He wanted to see how his father would take to that idea." You're not serious. The old gentleman propped himself up on his arms and looked at him. No, I'm not, replied Lester, but I might be. I might marry her. Impossible, exclaimed his father vigorously. I can't believe it. I can't believe a man of your intelligence would do a thing like that, Lester. Where's your judgment? Why, you've lived in open adultery with her for years, and now you talk of marrying her. Why, in heaven's name, if you were going to do anything like that, didn't you do it in the first place? Disgrace your parents, break your mother's heart, injure the business, become a public scandal, and then marry the cause of it. I don't believe it. Old Archibald got up. Don't get excited, father, said Lester quickly. We won't get anywhere that way. I say I might marry her. She's not a bad woman. 
and I wish you wouldn't talk about her as you do. You've never seen her. You know nothing about her. I know enough, insisted old Archibald determinedly. I know that no good woman would act as she has done. Why, man, she's after your money. What else could she want? It's as plain as the nose on your face. Father, said Lester, his voice lowering ominously. Why do you talk like that? You never saw the woman. You wouldn't know her from Adam's off-ox. Louise comes down here and gives an excited report, and you people swallow it whole. She isn't as bad as you think she is. I wouldn't use the language you're using about her if I were you. You're doing a good woman an injustice, and you won't, for some reason, be fair. Fair? Fair? interrupted Archibald. Talk about being fair. Is it fair to me, to your family, to your dead mother, to take a woman of the streets and live with her? Is it? Stop now, father, exclaimed Lester, putting up his hand. I warn you. I won't listen to talk like that. You're talking about the woman I'm living with, that I may marry. I love you, but I won't have you saying things that aren't so. She isn't a woman of the streets. You know, as well as you know anything, that I wouldn't take up with a woman of that kind. We'll have to discuss this in a calmer mood, or I won't stay here. I'm sorry. I'm awfully sorry. But I won't listen to any such language as that. Old Archibald quieted himself. In spite of his opposition, he respected his son's point of view. He sat back in his chair and stared at the floor. How was he to handle this thing, he asked himself. Are you living in the same place, he finally inquired. No, we've moved out to Hyde Park. I've taken a house out there. I hear there's a child. Is that yours? No. Have you any children of your own? No. Well, that's a God's blessing. Lester merely scratched his chin. And you insist you will marry her? Archibald went on. I didn't say that, replied his son. I said I might. Might, might, exclaimed his father, his anger bubbling again. What a tragedy. You, with your prospects, your outlook. How do you suppose I can seriously contemplate entrusting my share of my fortune to a man who has so little regard for what the world considers as right and proper? Why, Lester, this carriage business, your family, your personal reputation appear to be as nothing at all to you. I can't understand what has happened to your pride. It seems like some wild, impossible fancy. It's pretty hard to explain, Father, and I can't do it very well. I simply know that I'm in this affair and that I'm bound to see it through. It may come out all right. I may not marry her. I may. I'm not prepared now to say what I'll do. You'll have to wait. I'll do the best I can. Old Archibald merely shook his head disapprovingly. You've made a bad mess of this, Lester, he said finally. Surely you have. But I suppose you are determined to go your way. Nothing that I have said appears to move you. Not now, father. I'm sorry. Well, I warn you, then, that unless you show some consideration for the dignity of your family and the honor of your position, it will make a difference in my will. I can't go on countenancing this thing and not be a party to it morally in every other way. I won't do it. You can leave her or you can marry her. You certainly ought to do one of the other. If you leave her, everything will be all right. You may make any provision for her you like. 
I have no objection to that. I'll gladly pay whatever you agree to. You will share with the rest of the children, just as I had planned. If you marry her, it will make a difference. Now do as you please, but don't blame me. I love you. I'm your father. I'm doing what I think is my bounden duty. Now you think that over and let me know. Lester sighed. He saw how hopeless this argument was. He felt that his father probably meant what he said, but how could he leave Jenny and justify himself to himself? Would his father really cut him off? Surely not. The old gentleman loved him even now. He could see it. Lester felt troubled and distressed. This attempt at coercion irritated him. The idea, he, Lester Kane, being made to do such a thing to throw Jenny down. He stared at the floor. Old Archibald saw that he had let fly a telling bullet. Well, said Lester finally, there's no use our discussing it any further now. That's certain, isn't it? I can't say what I'll do. I'll have to take time and think. I can't decide this offhand. The two looked at each other. Lester was sorry for the world's attitude and for his father's keen feeling about the affair. Kane Sr. was sorry for his son, but he was determined to see the thing through. He wasn't sure whether he had converted Lester or not, but he was hopeful. Maybe he would come around yet. Goodbye, father, said Lester, holding out his hand. I think I'll try and make that 210 train. There isn't anything else you wanted to see me about? No. The old man sat there after Lester had gone, thinking deeply. What a twisted career. What an end to great possibilities. What a foolhardy persistence in evil and error. He shook his head. Robert was wiser. He was the one to control a business. He was cool and conservative. If Lester were only like that, he thought and thought. It was a long time before he stirred, and still, in the bottom of his heart, his erring son continued to appeal to him. End of chapter 39